it's time to catch up, Chrissy. We are officially underway catching you up. We are so committed to this because on Wednesday, neither one of us felt like watching an entire movie. We did not. Which we did not. No, no. we watched. So we watched The Fugitive over two nights. Which, like, I would have powered through if you had insisted, but you weren't about to insist. I'm, we have I'm, early mornings. I was so. the one who suggested this is a good time to turn it off. Yeah. And I do think it was a good spot to take a break, to be honest. When we started up again, I thought, oh, no, that was fine. Yeah. Yeah, we really... Um, it was, I think it was a, about the point where the first act was ending and the second act was beginning. We got into the the investigation part that Richard Kimball was taking. Right. Um, so we watched The Fugitive, just yep. for those of you who haven't read the title and don't know what we're talking about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to summarize the movie or should I provide a quick summary? I think you should. Well, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So. I'll no, interject. I'm that's sure not, that, yeah. And people have seen this movie. That's the point of this podcast, right? Uh, so Harrison Ford plays Dr. Richard Kimball. Young, handsome Harrison Ford. And Yeah, wasn't he? Back in the day. Good Lord. Yep. How long did we pause when he took his shirt off? Was it <laughs> five or six minutes? Look at those abs. <laughs> the abs. Oh my goodness. Even with that scruffy beard. Yeah. Very handsome. Well, and individual. as a doctor too. That's, yeah. That gets you a little bit of He's cred. Every man quality. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I had later was, would you leave me for Harrison Ford today? 80-year-old Harrison Ford. Oh, okay. Let's um, come so back. we ponder that and come, we'll come back, back on that one. So Dr. Richard Kimball is, um, in, uh, his wife is brutally murdered. Uh, he somehow is sort of present and accumulates enough evidence on his body to suggest that me, he may have had a part in it. Um, an investigation goes nowhere and he ultimately is found guilty and sentenced to die in a federal penitentiary while being transported to the prison, I think, where he is supposed to receive his lethal injection. Uh, there is a, an escape attempt made by the other uh, uh, inmates on the on the bus. Um, things go nuts. He manages to survive a horrific train crashing into bus but, situation. Yeah, bus flipping off of a bridge into a train gully, train hitting bus. Yeah. It was really intense. Which is the, it, it's arguably one of the five or six best action scenes of the 1990s mm-hmm. i would say mm-hmm. not that i'm prepared to list the other five no i hadn't thought that far but um <clears throat> it is certainly a remarkable sequence very tense even i mean all these years later i don't want to get too far out over our skis here but even all these years later i thought that really held up but i'll, I'll continue um he escapes and begins to um first he tries to evade capture by the u.s marshals who arrive led by tommy lee jones and and his associates um, and then once he has sort of figured out a way to remain out of sight and hiding, he begins to try to put the pieces together as to who killed his wife. And so the movie is simultaneously a cat and mouse between Tommy Lee Jones searching for Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford searching for the answers to what actually happened to his wife mm-hmm. and who set him up because somebody has set him up for, for this. Right. Um, and that becomes pretty clear as the plot goes on. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? No. Okay, so we're going to start, and it's, this is Catch Up Chrissy, so this is about me asking you some questions. Uh, what were your initial reactions? What did you think? I made notes. Okay. Okay. So I liked, I thought the beginning was really effective. It made me feel frustrated and panicked, just what I put in my phone. I was like, oh no, he's going to go down for this. That's why this movie is called The Fugitive. Also, 
you clearly didn't do it. Also, oh no, his wife. Like it was just like very, I like the flashbacks because I don't like watching people being murdered. So it was like, I liked that it was obvious how gruesome her murder was without it being, it was done in black and white. It was done in like flashy, flashbacky, like. Uh, very soft focus. So, yeah, yeah. It was dreamlike almost. It was really tasteful, I guess. Yeah. It's a tasteful, gruesome murder. A tasteful murder. murder yes. Yeah. Um, that put... would be an excellent book title yeah. <laughs> i put he's set in like the english countryside oh lovely mm-hmm. uh i feel like if a murder happened My petticoat is it would ruined. be like a murder happened if uh, in um um uh, remains of the day yeah yeah he's driving his car and there's a murder um i put i'm in my notes i put not too graphic just graphic enough yep um sound sound editing was good yep right the whole thing she's hit with like a paperweight or whatever it is that... lamp is that what it yeah. is yeah and it's like fingerprints are all over the lamp of okay. course it was. It was his It's lamp. his house, yeah. I thought that was kind of dumb, but whatever. Um, I put the interior of the bus scene was really well done with the prisoners there. Again, like good good lighting, good... Good editing. Yeah, and good yeah. tension. And the train crash. I just made a note. Ah, the days before CGI. You can go see that train crash because they actually crashed a train. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and the other scene I put was the window falling scene again one of those they don't make movies like that anymore when Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones fall on the it's like a terrarium window or something greenhouse window in the roof well that wasn't Tommy Lee Jones that fell that was that was drawn crab that was Charlie Nichols okay right well, whatever when the men fall on the glass window yeah I thought oh they're just gonna go straight through but they don't right they go they they wrestle some on top of the window and then after like a few moments they go through and I thought that was really effective mm-hmm. as well so that was, those are my notes on the movie. I really, really liked it. I thought it was really well done. Uh, there aren't enough women in it. it. Fails the Bechdel test 20 ways to Sunday. Yeah. But it's not about that, right? Like it's, it's. I'm not looking at it through like an equity lens. I'm looking at it through like, a, this was a very entertaining movie. Is it, it was nominated for Best Picture. Is that right? To do a little callback okay. to uh, our Oscar podcast. Nominated <clears throat> for Best Picture, but I would not, if we were talking about Best Picture, I would not encourage this one to win best picture because i don't really feel like it has much to say um i liked the fact i'm gonna go back to the equity thing for a second i like the fact i told you this during the movie there's a black female police officer in it that was a fairly not a major role but a fairly important part of the team and i really liked the parts you liked with the there were two parts one where they are going to the house to it looks like they're going to arrest him but they're not they're getting the landlady's son mm-hmm. and the other one was the his his co co uh, bus rider yeah. co-convict that they it's very confusing for a moment when they say like oh we got him and then it's not that harrison ford they got it's the the other convict they found him and he ends up getting shot and dying yeah mm-hmm. you know what was interesting about that scene just thinking about it now and this just occurred to me is that you know that guy says you know whichever way you go don't follow me yeah and Dr. Kimball kind of wryly smiles at him and says, be good. Mm-hmm. Knowing probably full well, like this guy's a, this guy's not a good dude. Mm-hmm. Right. And it almost plants the seed early on that like, maybe Dr. Kimball isn't clean a hundred percent. Like he's, he's not, he didn't like try to stop the guy mm-hmm. or I probably because he knew he couldn't physically manage him but i did have that thought i thought is the big twist here going to be that he did it or had a hand in it mm. i was glad when he didn't though yeah yeah spoiler that... spoiler for a 30 year old movie the point of this you said at the beginning the point of the podcast was people have seen no it, it, it's 30 years old we're, we're gonna spoil get out. yeah we're gonna, we're gonna spoil everything <laughs> um okay so you've already spoken to i have a couple of questions for you I'm ready. um one is you know, what were your your overall impressions you've given us that 
what scenes stood out besides um, the bus crash for you? Was there anything else that really was like that really worked for you? I liked I liked that Jane Lynch was in it. That was a nice surprise. Julianne Moore is in it briefly, but gets fourth billing. Do you know why she gets fourth billing? No. She gets fourth billing because she had a way bigger role and all of it got left on the cutting room floor. Was that right? That's why she got billed for it. <clears throat> she wasn't I asked you during the feeling, oh, was this her first movie? Was she she was already a pretty big deal. It was an early movie of hers. Yeah, she'd done a Robert Altman movie called Shortcuts yeah. around that same time. So and this... she's very famous for being bottomless, I think, in the scene. I haven't seen the movie, but uh... Right. So yeah, I she wasn't a non entity when this movie came out. Um, but a lot of her role got got cut. It's a very, very small role for fourth Billy in the end. Uh, okay, scenes that stand out would be that scene at the hospital where he saves a kid's life. Yep. Uh, and the scene at the end where he accosts his colleague slash former best friend who has set him up to. Oh, the, got, when he walks when he walks in on the keynote. The, in the keynote, yeah, I thought that was really really effective. Yeah. Those two scenes. Okay. Okay, so some of the other questions I have mm -hmm. pertain to the performances. Mm. We've already talked about how devastatingly handsome Harrison Ford was. Yeah. Um, but where would this movie stack up for you in terms of Harrison Ford performances that you've seen, that you're Ooh. aware of? Uh, up there, but not the top. He's still Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is what you think of first. I think of Indiana Jones first. Okay, so and, not Han Solo. And I think of Han Solo second. Okay. Yeah, it would not be Dr. Richard Kimball. We just totally had a tomato-tomato moment there. Why? Han or Han Solo? Hans. It's not Hans. It's He's not German. Oh. <laughs> With my family background, I always assumed he was. Um, a Han. Hans Olo? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, Han. Yeah, Han, not Han. Okay. Han sounds like ham. Han. All right. Long A. So you initially, you think of Indiana Jones? Yes, I do. And then Specifically you... the one with Sean Connery, which I know is not the first one, right? No. It's no. The, it's the It's the third. best one. It's the it's... third. It'll end up being the middle one because there's another one coming this year. I don't watch it. Well, we've established this. Yes. You know. That's the point of the podcast. Yeah. Um, ah, Christina stopped watching movies in 1993. Okay. Are there any other Harrison Ford performances that stand out in your mind? I don't know that I've seen him in literally anything else. So, oh, and by the way, Joe, friend of the podcast, was like, you could only think of those three actors. in the, And I was like, you just caught me off guard. Just for the record, listeners, I can think of more than those actors. I just couldn't in that moment. Um, Thanks for clarifying. It was, it was embarrassing. Um, uh, I can't think of anything else he's been in. Okay. So what, what, where what, what does other this, movies has he been will in? this, I guess the real question is, will this bring to mind in the future when you think of Harrison Ford, mm. does Harrison Ford as Dr. Richard Kimball slot in somewhere at, at the top? Maybe not at the top. No, maybe like number three, only because I can't think of anything else. Why are you not telling me other things? He's uh, like he played Jack Ryan in Patriot games and the clear and present danger air force one witness. Seriously, we could go on and on. Is there something else that he's been in that I should have seen, or not that I should have seen, but that you think I have I seen? Think, you, haven't, I, you haven't seen Patriot Games? No. Okay. Um, what's he done recently? He's been a little less active recently. I'm actually catching myself off guard here. Married to Ally McBeal. That's all I know. Callista Flockhart. Ally McBeal, and, and okay. not married anymore. No. No. Uh, sorry. No. That would be it. It would be Indiana Jones, Han Solo, and. And then Richard Kimball. Then Richard Kimball, and that's the end of the list. Okie dokie. Okay. Uh, how about Tommy Lee Jones? Have you? Can you think of anything you've seen Tommy Lee Jones in? Mm-hmm. Okay. Men in Black. Okay. Mm-hmm. And does this unseat 
that no, performance for it you. does not. Do you like them better it in does not. Men in Black? Is this where I get to talk about who else was nominated for an Oscar that year? Sure. The fact he won makes me think that the Oscars are a bought commodity. So I, I looked this up last night during the movie, and Matt and I saved it for the podcast. Christina pod. loves Internet Movie Database. I'm there a lot, too, but I, I don't try to read the trivia because I don't want to just recite trivia, but this was interesting. Okay, so first and of I all... And I don't know what it is, but you've been sitting on it and glowing about it. I have been. For 24 hours. First of all, this was not <clears> in IMDb. <throat> I had to go to the Oscars website to find this out. It's shocking this is not an IMDb because it's just ridiculous. Okay. Who else was nominated? I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up because the one that I can't believe didn't win is on this list. Right. So Pete Postlethwaite. It's hard yeah. to say. There's some little lisp. In the Name of the Father. Heard of the movie. I know he was the priest guy in Romeo and Juliet. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I know who that is. And I feel like he's a very good actor. He's a terrific actor. John Malkovich in The Line of Fire. Okay. John Malkovich. Like, yeah. he's, a, he's a pretty big deal I'm from what I've heard. Ralph Fiennes in Schindler's List. Yeah. And who else? Can you think of who it is? No. Leo in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Oh. And that was a, I mean, I don't know if it was a big upset. I don't really remember 1993. Those are all good performances. Wait, I'll tell you who, who they were all better than. I haven't seen two of the four, but I don't know about John Malkovich. I don't know about Pete Postle Sweet, but uh, I can tell you right now, Ralph Fiennes and Leo should have won over Tommy Lee Jones. It's Rafe Fiennes. Is it? You pronounce it like Ray, Rafe. Really? Yeah, not Ralph. Voldemort, that's all that matters. Uh, I just can't believe that that's who, this performance is what beat Leonardo DiCaprio and what's eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, well, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones was not known for playing somebody with a sense of humor. I think he was playing a little out of character um, as Samuel L. Gerard. And he was, um, I don't know, maybe he was an actor that people thought was due or he, he sort of, I, I'm not That's sure. That's what exactly. I think. I think this is a lifetime achievement award. Well, but it, he wasn't as old as he looked. Um, well, he was pretty old. He's got to be in his fifties here. No. 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 He was. He's. He's younger than Harrison Ford. Okay. And he just looks older. Mm. He's got that like droopy dog face. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know how old he is, but um. I'm about to find out. Okay. So you think he's not deserving of an Oscar? Well, should Harrison Ford have been nominated? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think so. He was very good in this. I just didn't, I don't know. I don't really like Tommy Lee Jones. It's probably not helping my view of this. I just, I'm like, what, what acting is happening here? Like there's, he's reciting lines and like they're, the, the writing was funny. The script writing was funny. And he plays a cop. I just didn't think it was enough out of character to warrant any sort of adoration. Yeah. Never mind an Oscar. Well, and I had this in my notes later on. I think I'll mention it now that I, like, I agree that like, 30 years later, it looks like a parody of a, of a police officer or a U.S. Marshal. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably there are a lot of actors that have done sort of impressions of this performance. Mm -hmm. I think that he owes a lot to the actors around him in the ensemble of mm -hmm. other U.S. Marshals who are acting so effectively in a way to demonstrate his leadership mm -hmm. and demonstrate the, his command of the scene and demonstrate their fealty to him their loyalty to him mm -hmm. and their fear of him. Um, you know, I think and respect and respect for yeah. him that like he actually, his acting is boosted is, is um, 
supported heavily. He's a supporting actor, even though apparently he has more lines than Harrison Ford does in the movies, mm-hmm. um, which is not surprising because a lot of Harrison Ford's time on screen is spent running and hiding and alone. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be talking to anybody. Um, but I think that like without without the other supporting actors supporting Tommy Lee Jones, if he was just a one-man army, he would have come across as totally insane. Mm-hmm. But because he's with other people, they ground him in a reality that he doesn't seem to be operating in. Space Cowboys. Saw that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Double Jeopardy. Saw that one. I'm, I'm apparently a huge Tommy Lee Jones uh, completist. I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, Batman Forever. Yeah, he was Two-Face. He played Two-Face yeah. in that. Hang on, hang on. There was another one that I saw that I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen that one. The Fugitive and... Oh, um, it's the No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a terrific, terrific performance. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, one other thing I wanted to quickly talk about, mm-hmm. um, and then and we'll come back and I'll tell you my overall thoughts on this, was this was a big period in, t- in TV, in movie history, excuse me, where they were making TV shows from the 60s into movies. Was I'm gonna, it a TV I, show? It was. Oh. It was a TV show. It was on, it was like a serial TV show that was on for four years in when the mid-60s. When you said that, when we were watching the movie, I was like, oh, maybe Matt's onto something here. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, a, it was a pretty famous TV show. Yeah, okay. So other TV shows from the 60s. They were made into movies between sort of the late 1980s oh, yeah. and the mid-1990s. Mm-hmm. Here's the list. The Flintstones. Yep. Saw the it. Addams Family. Saw it. Maverick. Mm-hmm. The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Car 54, Where Are You? I thought you were going to miss one. Keep going. Beverly Hillbillies. Yep. Dragnet. Yep. McHale's Navy. Mm-hmm. Lost in Space. Yep. Wild Wild West, if you want to count it, it was... It came out in 99. Okay. So it's a little bit out of the period we're talking I've about. I've got two that you haven't mentioned. Batman, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. and The Brady Bunch. Ah, oh, see, I was going to say Brady Bunch. And the other one I was going to mention was Dukes of Hazard. That came that, out later. That it? was, yeah. That, because that had like uh, Jessica Simpson in it. I don't sure think she was did. born in the 90s, was she? Uh, yes, she was. Okay. She's my age. Really? Yes. Um. So I, I'll ask you this quickly. Okay. Is is The Fugitive the best of these 60s TV shows made into movies? Hmm. Looking at this list. I think I could get there. I could be convinced of it, but I think maybe Mission Impossible. I was going to say Mission Impossible is better. It's so much more stylish, yeah. right? And it all comes down to the director. Um, Andrew Davis, who directed this, was basically known for directing a couple of Steven Seagal movies and a Gene Hackman CIA picture, but really nothing else besides that. Hmm. Yeah, so again, looking at the list, Mission Impossible maybe it's, is 1A, yeah. The Fugitive is 1B, but I think you could also make a case... That the Adams family yes. is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I like Maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, problematic Mel Gibson aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Brady Bunch movie uh, has its adherence. Yeah. Right? People who think that it was, I'm one of them. Yeah. I think the, like if you're making a Brady Bunch movie, you need to stick to what the Brady Bunch TV show was like, and they did that really effectively, and not with any of the same actors, with the exception of the um, maid. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. Florence. I didn't watch the Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch was not something that so we, was on my I didn't, family radar at all. I didn't watch the show much, although I had seen a handful of episodes yeah. um, because it came on right after Leave it to Beaver, which we would walk on, watch on the weekends. Um, but it, but when the movie came out, I remember we went to see it, and it was uh, I really I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. So one last thing on on director Andrew Davis is that just before this movie was made, he directed Under Siege with Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. And that also featured Tommy Lee Jones mm. in a wild performance as the bad guy who hijacks somehow a U.S. battleship upon which Steven Seagal is the cook, but he also happens to kick on holy ass. Right. 
Um, and he ends up getting his eyes mushed out hmm. in his final fight with Steven Seagal. And now I have never have to watch that movie. Yeah. Thank you. It was really gross. Okay. Um, so on rewatch for me, uh, I think this movie's really about the, it. I, I wrote in my uh, letterbox review that it comes out like shot like like it was shot out of a cannon. Matt, you're on letterbox. I am. Well, why don't you just like plug your little uh, screen name there? My name is Charlie's Dad Matt on Letterbox. All one word, folks. Oh, and you can find me there, and mm-hmm. you can read my hundred and ten or eleven reviews now. Mm-hmm. I've been reviewing everything I've seen for the last year. Um, probably well overdue. And considering you work a full-time job and A.O. Scott reviewed 300 movies a year, a third of that is not a bad tally. Yeah. Right? So you're saying I should put my application into the New York Times? Today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, gosh, I'd love it. <laughs> and then I could meet Wesley, yeah, Morris, oh, and then Wesley. we can have him over for lunch. Yay! Okay. Um, so the, the set pieces are very memorable. I think that the first 25 minutes of the movie going from the the bus train sequence to him running away to um, stitching himself up and then ultimately the sewer chase sequence and the dam jump are I mean that's that's just peak action filmmaking it doesn't really get much better than that mm-hmm. and I like that there's always like a secondary thing like it wasn't enough that the bus flipped over it's in the bus flipped over and, and then, then there was a train and then there was the train yeah it's not enough that he's being chased by a helicopter while driving out of that town he then ends up jumping off the bridge yes right which is foreshadowed well as the chase is moving towards mm-hmm. the dam um it happens again later on in the when he goes to visit the guy in jail the his one of his five suspects with the prosthetic arm right mm. That's a tense sequence when he goes up in the elevator and there's cops in the elevator and then he brings the guy in and everybody's sort of side-eyeing him and figuring out what's going on. And then it turns into the chase down the staircase mm-hmm. where Tommy Lee Jones yells his name and he can't help but look up, right? And then it spills out into the parade mm-hmm. and he's trying to uh, avoid Tommy Lee Jones and the other guy in the parade. Mm-hmm. Like the, there's all of the all of the action sequences seem to be, there's going to be this thing and then it's going to turn into another thing, mm-hmm. which I thought was a pretty good motif throughout mm-hmm. right it's all one thing you think it's one thing and it's another mm-hmm. which maybe is metaphorical for, Ooh, yes. for what's going on very here. good um and i liked also uh the editing twice as they got you they got me mm-hmm. with the you think he's about to be captured and it's actually the police are closing in on something else um and it's just i think it's cleverly written and cleverly edited in that way but i also thought that it was interesting i thought i i suspect i don't know if this is true or not i didn't have a stopwatch out but that the shot length um, and the pace of the movie, everything got a little tighter mm-hmm. and quicker as the movie proceeded into the third act. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a sense that um, we're running out of time. Yes, he's running out of time. Running out of time. The 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 net is getting is they're closing in on him. Yeah, he's running out of space. Um, and everything started happening much more rapidly. And I thought that was really effective. Um, I also liked that Kimball. Like it wasn't enough. He could theoretically, at any point, have just turned himself in. And said, like, listen, I didn't do this. Like, I need you to look into this, this, and this. But he just kept leaving clues behind, right? The idea that he was smarter than everybody, I thought, mm-hmm. was a pretty effective thing. Um, one of the things I noticed that's maybe not so great would be how of the time it was. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how 1992 the movie is. I because was right for, now, I like, so there for that. cell phone cameras and security cameras everywhere mm-hmm. and GPS and geolocation. And I'm sure they don't transport prisoners without, like, ankle bracelets that yeah. give their exact location and heart rate at all times. Yes. So it would be hard to make in 2023. They would have rounded them up like 10 minutes later and mm-hmm. the movie would have ended. Um, I had my notes and we already talked about it at Tommy Lee Jones. I, I wrote that he's almost unbelievable. And again, I think he owes a lot of, I think he owes a lot of credit for his Oscar mm-hmm. to Joe Pantoliano and the other actors mm-hmm. who are around him 
who make him act more like a real human being mm -hmm. periodically. And Joe Pantoliano is really carrying a lot of the water there. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I liked about it was how polite they were with everybody they dealt with mm -hmm. until somebody dealt with them rudely. Mm -hmm. And then they got a little snarky, right? The, the scene at the, uh, at the, at the bus crash site mm -hmm. uh, was evidence of that. Um, I think it deserved having a sequel. Mm -hmm. I'm glad there's a sequel. I'm, I understand why Harrison Ford's arc was done, mm -hmm. but I'm glad that um, Tommy Lee Jones got another crack at it. And my understanding, my remembrance of U.S. Marshals, which also has uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Wesley Snipes, mm -hmm. is that those are like much more difficult people to work with. Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. was right in the middle of his drugs and arrests and prison time phase. Mm -hmm. And um, he kind of derailed that movie, made it more complicated than it needed to be. And it pushed pushed the boundaries a little further in terms of what Gerard's character needed to do. Mm -hmm. But Tommy Lee Jones wasn't wasn't the reason that movie didn't work. Mm -hmm. I think there was other stuff that, that didn't work there. Um, but I like the cat and mouse. Um, is the villain, I wanted to ask you, is the villain broadcast a little too early? That, that sort of that economy of characters law that like there's somebody that we've already met has to be the bad guy. So did you figure out who was going to be the bad guy? I Earlier yeah. than you think you should have? Or? No, I think I was suspicious of our <clears throat> of the bad guy um, when he gave that first interview and said that Kimball was smarter than he was. But I also, I it was it was the, the moment that I was like, oh, he is the bad guy is the moment where everybody realizes he's the bad guy. So I didn't feel like he was revealed too early. I thought that the foreshadowing, it was like it was hint, very subtly hinted around. Uh, but no, I didn't. I thought it was good. Yeah. yeah. I think they were trying to give it away by how cavalier he was about like... Mm -hmm helping um and sort of throwing it in the police's face throwing mm -hmm. it in the marshal's face um if uh if you could would you recast jerome and crab with a third big name like for instance if kevin costner happened to be his partner and he was in that movie in that spot for those three or four scenes mm -hmm. or some other big william hurt or some other big actor of the time mm -hmm. jeff bridges would that have worked for you i don't think so i think it needed to be just like was denzel washington no no no. i think it needed to be just tommy lee jones hunting hunting harrison ford right but like it, yeah I'm, I'm, what i'm asking though is like if you'd had a bigger actor in the role of charlie nichols the the doctor that it's that, mm -hmm. that set him up you don't Maybe. think that would have worked or would that have broadcast earlier that like oh he's got to be bad yeah i think that that's exactly what it would have done so it would better... have been like well he's a big actor so obviously he's got to be more important than they're currently right. running on okay um, I thought it was interesting the, the, the decision they they made to make sure we knew he was innocent mm -hmm. and a good man. Yes. Ultimately, right? Yeah. Um, saving the uh, saving the guard uh, who's been stabbed and helping the paramedics point out like he's got a gastric puncture and or whatever, kid. and he and then he saves the boy. Yeah. Right. And those are just like really doubling down. And I thought Chicago was really effectively used mm -hmm. as a setting. Mm -hmm. Not having ever been to Chicago, I have. Yeah, it makes me want to go. Mm -hmm. um, it maybe it did make me want to go. It's a nice like pretty picture postcard of chicago yeah even though it's winter still so. yeah um also okay a couple of last nitpicky questions i guess mm -hmm. was it really beyond the realm of possibility that the police investigating the murder could have not solved this like it doesn't seem to me like there was that much that it would have been that difficult to prove that he was innocent that was one of my questions um okay a couple of other questions i have um one for you and this is sort of facetious but if you're dr richard kimball mm -hmm. the day after mm. is the first thing you do to go visit your wife's grave or is the first thing you do to walk into your lawyer's office and punch him in the mouth 
for giving you such a lousy defense. Like, where was his defense in the courtroom? Mm -hmm. Was he defending himself? I had no, he was not. Was he standing mute? No, because he calls the first person he calls is his lawyer. So I have two two thoughts here. My first thought when I was watching it was at the end was what exactly does Dr. Richard Kimball now that everyone in Chicago knows his name and his face? I guess and knows that he's innocent, but like uh what what where does he go from here? Like can he just go back to work saving lives? Writing a memoir perhaps? Mm, yes. So I that this my is my time thought. in jail. This is what, no yeah, my my proving my innocence by yeah. Dr. Richard Kimball. I think that um the first thing he does is file the lawsuit against his own lawyer. Mm -hmm. Then, I don't even know, perhaps goes back and saves lives to the hospital while ghostwriting his memoir. Yeah, I think he'd go after the Chicago police too, because they, I know there was evidence, mm -hmm. there was physical evidence, but there was also a lot of like circumstantial stuff that needed to be explained. Mm. Anyway, I okay. I think it's a lawyer thing. I, I think, would the movie have benefited from having there been a scene where the jury's like talking about what they'd heard? Yes. Like rather I, than it just being the, the it was prosecutor. Such, yes, it was such a gloss over of the court of the court system and the courtroom, right? It's it's one very small one minute scene. So I think that, but I think that's important because there's so much action packed in. Yes, maybe a little like another one minute jury debating. He said this and he said that and blah blah. blah. Like I, I don't know, but I I don't know that we needed it. The important thing is not how he was found guilty. It was just that he was found guilty. But like it would have been interesting if it was like a reversal of Twelve Angry Men, where it was like one person had to be convinced. had to be convinced but they ultimately get convinced mm -hmm. or that the room was split somehow mm -hmm. right like i think that that idea that you could have um removed the concerns about his his perhaps his guilt mm -hmm. by having jurors go round and round about it no i think that the the, the the concern about his guilt adds to it i don't think it's a negative that we aren't a hundred percent sure that he's not just crazy and guilty until nearer to the end. I think that's a good thing. It keeps it interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that were my, those are my thoughts. So one last question. Ready. Catching up Chrissy. Mm -hmm. Are we, are we happy we saw this one? Yes. Okay. Really? Well, here's the thing. There isn't a single movie on, well, maybe there's a couple movies, but there aren't many movies on this list that I am unsure about. I was very sure I was going to like the fugitive and like it. I did. Good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we have not decided mm -mm. what the next one's going to be. You'll have to tune back in. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening.